good morning, everybody. We are still continuing through our study of the entire book of 1 Corinthians, Paul's letter to believers in kind of a messed up church in Corinth. Fortunately, we're very grateful that Paul was addressing certain things that needed to happen because we know that we are learning a lot about how we need to be the kind of church that God has for us today. So we're grateful for Paul and for what he writes to us in 1 Corinthians. Today, chapter 3, if you have your Bible present with you, which I hope you do, you can open to 1 Corinthians 3. We're just going to cover six verses today, 10 through 15 of 1 Corinthians. But in order to approach this subject, just a few days ago, uh, I posed a question on Facebook, our closed Facebook page. And I said, what do you wonder about? I thought maybe I'd get six or seven responses. <laughs> oh my goodness. What a thread. It was incredible. I really appreciated the depth of thought that so many of you put into that. We had so many responses that I can only reflect uh, a sample of them, probably about one quarter of what actually got put into Facebook today. But let me share some of those with you. Some people said that they wonder, how will I keep my family safe during this crazy pandemic? Will I get back to work full time? And if so, when will we ever get back into the school to worship? That got me to looking around at other churches to see what's going on. <clears throat> a day after I had posed this question and that people were wondering, when will we be able to get back into a real space? I saw an announcement from a huge church in Atlanta. Andy Stanley is the senior pastor there. It's North Point. They have many campuses in the Atlanta regional area with 30,000 people each week involved in worship. And they made the announcement that they're going to remain closed as a building or in buildings all the way through the end of this year. That was a big deal. I mean, people were saying, what? <laughs> but I think that they were foreseeing things that were happening in their area because as you know, Atlanta has been a bit of a hot spot. but they also saw that if they reopened one of their campuses and if all of a sudden they come together, they're in the same space, even if they're trying to do everything as safely as they can, and if they start getting a, an outbreak of COVID, all of a sudden, they have to go into this routine of closing down for two weeks, go back again. And with that many campuses, it could be happening in many different campuses. So they said, we're just not going to take that chance. And they said, make no mistake about it. We're not closed. We're the church. We're just not in a building right now. And I think that's important for us to recognize as well. We as elders have been looking for ways to get us together, perhaps even on the property. And uh, it's amazing, even a church our size, we're not that big, but when we started considering the logistics of even putting together a worship service on our property, it was amazing how complex that became pretty quickly. <laughs> there are many things to consider, including what are we going to do for those who like to sign in and hear Mark's teaching from the book of Judges? Can we do that? He couldn't do that and make it out in time for the worship service on the property. We were having a difficult time with scheduling. We realized that we were going to need amplification, even if we're just in lawn chairs. It's amazing how your voice drops to the ground in the air, which eats up volume. And we don't have any church to plug into for electricity. If we used a generator, that's noisy. So then we have to fight the noise. It, it became more difficult than we were expecting. So bear with us. I urge you to be patient. Hang in there, as a lot of people are doing. And don't neglect the gathering together of the faithful, as Paul would say. I think it's important for us to get together when we can in as many ways as we can, and many are doing that. 
fact, I had two really good front yard visits yesterday, and I loved that. It made me feel like I was a human being having interactions with real human beings, and I appreciate that very, very much. You can do the same. We have several tribes started. That means that some of you are in sort of a quarantine circle, so to speak, and you've been meeting. One of our small groups is meeting together with those families, and they've been together with the same family, so they know who they are, and they know they're safe, and they know that they are COVID-free. So the more we keep doing those things, the more we'll be prepared so that when the time is right, we'll be able to safely move back into a more public sphere. And of course, if the weather permits, and I'm praying it will, tonight we'll be on the church property in person with those who can stand in a large circle, and we'll be able to be right out in God's wonderful cathedral, which he's provided for us. And so that'll be tonight at 7.30. So some more things that people wonder about, in addition to when can we start worshiping together. Here's one person's not so serious answer to that one. He says, I wonder, will my mask leave tan lines? And the answer to that is, Yes. Yes, it will. Uh, some other people said, how will I raise my child in this crazy world? There's a lot of hate being displayed all around us. What will my child take away from this season? Another person said, I wonder about whether I find the right balance of doing work and keeping busy and waiting on God. Why do people hide the truth? in exchange for a belief that they're protecting the person who should be told that truth? Ooh, that's a good question. Why are so many professing Christians questioning their faith these days? Another good question. Here's one that's very thoughtful. If I make it to heaven, I wonder if I'll be surprised to see those I never expected to see, and I wonder if I'll be disappointed not to see those people that I did expect to see there. Hmm. I wonder, I love this one. I wonder if there's anything I don't wonder about. I'm a very thoughtful person. I wonder how well I'm doing at hating sin and loving the sinner. I wonder what more I could be doing while I'm doing the last thing I know God called me to do. Am I missing something? I also wonder what the new earth will be like. And there's a subtitle to that one. Will there be puppies? <laughs> I wonder what the world would look like if we acted out of love instead of acting out of fear. I was just amazed at the depth of these thoughts. And that, like I said, that was just the tip of the iceberg. You all gave me a lot of good food for thought in reading a lot of different blogs and in having a few conversations with people who are on the other side of that line of faith that you've heard me talk about, I know that there are a lot of people in our world today who are also wondering, does God even exist? Some are wondering, when I die, is that it? Or will there be something else? Some are wondering, when somebody says they have faith, what do they mean? Faith in what exactly? There's a lot of wonder in the world. And here's the thing. Our reason that we wonder, one of the reasons that we wonder, is because our frame of reference doesn't really give us all the answers. Paul says that we're, it's like looking through a glass dimly. There are times when you look through this clouded pane of glass and you don't see things terribly clearly. 
everything is clouded for us by certain things. Childhood experiences can cloud our filters, trauma in our lives. I've spoken with a lot of people who said they'd had some traumatic experiences. They were having a very difficult time seeing a loving God past the trauma that they had experienced. Hypocritical authority in somebody's past. Somebody who said one thing and yet did another caused some people to doubt or to question or to wonder. All these things can create a cloudy glass through which it's difficult to see with clarity who God is, if he exists, and what kind of a God he is. And here's where it gets really kind of weird. It gets a little unusual. For those of you who might be on the other side of that line of faith, and you're looking in at Christianity, asking good questions, I'm just going to lay it out there for you. We Christians honestly really believe that God became one of us. It's the incarnation. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. God, who was in heaven through the Son, came to earth, became just like one of us to suffer among us, to feel what we felt, all that stuff. He wanted to clear up the distortions of people who are trying to see clearly what he is like. So we really believe that that really happened. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15, this is our passage for the day. And I'm going to read it to you from a translation that you've heard me quote from quite often. It's the New Living Translation. I like this one specifically for this particular passage, and I think you'll see why. It just really comes across clearly, and I'm all about clarity today, as you can tell. So let me read this and let it pour over you, if you would. Because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. This is Paul speaking, of course. Now, others are building on that foundation. They're building on it. But whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. For no one can lay any foundation other than what we have already laid, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, or precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, or stubble. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if the person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. And this is God's word. And I'll pray that God makes it even more clear as we work our way through these six verses. Last week, we looked at Paul, who used two metaphors for himself to show what he was like to the people in Corinth. He was like a parent, talking to a baby Christian, people who were not yet ready for the meat, and so he was giving them the milk of the word, the firm foundation, but rudiments. And then he also talked about being a farmer, that he was a seed planter, that he was cultivating the field and planting the seeds, but others would, others would come along like Apollos, and they would water those seeds, but that everybody is integral in that work. We're all important because we're called to the work that God has called us to, and God gets the ultimate reward. He gets the glory for it all because he owns the field. So all of us are members of the planting work that he's doing, but God gets all the glory. 
So then he starts to transition in the last part of verse 9 into today's metaphor for himself, and that is Paul the builder. Can he build it? Yes, he can. Paul the builder is somebody who's going to be showing us what it means to have the right foundation and to use the right building materials on that foundation, as we just read. There are some materials, if they are not pointing people back to that firm foundation in Jesus Christ, they won't survive that ultimate reveal, which he talks about in verse 13. That time when everything's going to be revealed by a great heat, and those things that are wood, hay, stubble, like straw, things that were temporary, they'll be burned up. But the things that are precious, like gold or silver, or those precious stones, those jewels, they will survive, and they will even be refined, and so they'll be brilliant and wonderful and beautiful. There's a children's fable, which I recall from when our children were wanting to be read to at night. And this one kind of is a corollary. It's a little bit of a, a connection to what Paul was talking about with these different building materials. I'm sure that you probably remember the three little pigs story, right? There was this wolf and he came along and there were three little pigs and they each built different houses and the houses were different building materials. One was made out of straw. And so the big old bad wolf would come up and he demanded entrance into this pig's domicile. And the little pig protested and swore an oath based on the trustworthiness of his facial hair. Said, Not by the hair on my chitty chin chin. But the wolf said that I'm going to huff and I'm going to puff. I'm going to remove my mask and I'm going to breathe all over your house. That's kind of the 2020 version. He says, I'm going to blow your house down. And of course, what happens to the straw house? Yeah, <clears throat> he blows it over goes to the second pig. This one's made out of sticks. Now clearly from looking at this stick house, probably a little bit stronger than the straw, but we know the story. He blows on it, it falls down too. So what about the third house? Ah, it's made out of bricks. Now this material will survive not only a great hurricane force wind from a wolf who has great breath control, but it would also survive fire because the bricks are fired in a kiln and it can take great heat. That's why that picture that Dr. Pipe showed us during the worship exhortation prior to this message showed the foundation and the chimney survived a great fire. Those are the building materials that will last. Now there's one method that you can test good building materials and that is to try to put it through hurricane force winds. But then there's Paul's method. Just turn a flamethrower on it and see what happens then. That's what he's talking about in verse 13. On this day of the great reveal, the fire, which was always a metaphor for testing or trials or for judgment. If you look all through scripture, that would be a good word study, by the way. Look through the word fire and see what it reveals. The fire will test the quality of each person's work. Now, who is each person that he talks about there? The teachers. Those people like Apollos who come along or like Cephas, Peter, or like uh, Timothy, or Silas, or Barnabas, or some of the other people that Paul had been a missionary with alongside those teachers. Each person's work is going to be tested. And fortunately, there's evidence of God's grace, because even though Paul says some people's work will be burned up, and they will suffer greatly when they see that what they were teaching didn't last. But as long as the person has been given the foundation, and they're still connected to the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ, the firm foundation, They'll still be saved, but like those escaping through the fire. There's an evidence of grace even in verse 15 of this passage. I think what Paul is really after 
is showing us that we want to make sure that whatever we're teaching are using materials that will last, that will stand fast all the way through to that great reveal on the last day. These teachings that last are the teachings that fix us or attach us to the foundation. Uh, a couple of years ago, it probably was, when I was preaching through one of the other books, may have been Matthew, and I talked about hurricane force winds and how some builders had learned to put metal straps around the framing of their houses so that they could be attached to the foundation and that those houses would withstand great winds far more than houses that weren't attached as tightly to that foundation. That's kind of what Paul means when he says, fix your eyes on the author and finisher of our faith. Fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. Attach yourself to that. Attach yourself to the firm foundation. He's kind of mixing metaphors there. That's exactly what he's talking about. And in Hebrews, another great book, some of which, some people think that maybe Hebrews was written by Paul. We've had some good, good hearted discussions, even among our eldership. Uh, I think that there's one physician among us who thinks it was probably written by the physician Luke, and for good reason. There's good scholarship to support that. I also see that there's some good scholarship for the reason that uh, Paul might have been the author, because he uses almost the same wording in the very last as he's saying toward the end, grace be unto you all, something like that, which reflects about six other cities, letters to other cities that he had written to as well. Other people try to marry those two. They say, well, maybe Paul sort of preached this, and it might have been something he preached more than once. And so Hebrews in itself is really a sermon. If you read it, looking at it that way, you can read it start to finish and think, oh yeah, this is a sermon. And maybe Luke transcribed that sermon or wrote down the key elements of that so that Luke was involved and actually had some of his personality shine through too. I kind of like that approach as well. The main thing is it's God's inspired word and it reflects all the same kind of thought process that Paul was putting into this. So when we're talking about somebody fixing or attaching or focusing our eyes on Jesus, yeah, Paul would definitely be in agreement with that. We can fix or focus our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, which means the originator, the creator, the author, and the perfecter of our faith. There's somebody who came in to do some work in a house uh, that we sold before we moved closer to this area. And there was somebody up on stilts and she was a finisher, a drywall finisher. And she made it look so easy. And if I had been trying to mud that drywall, it would have been a mess and I would have probably sanded for three days and there'd be a pile of dust at the bottom of that sheet. But she just went, made it look so easy. And there was very little sanding that had to be done because she'd been doing that for a long time and she made it perfect. So when we think of Jesus as being the perfecter of our faith, we can think of him as being the one who can make everything come out seamless and perfect and looking just exactly the way it should, maturing our faith until we're looking a whole lot like he looks because he's transforming us into his image. That's who he is, and that's what we're supposed to attach ourselves to, which is why Paul says we have to use the right building materials to make sure that we're focused on Jesus and connecting to the foundation. Now, I'm aware that there are many people out there, just as one person talked about when he was wondering, why are so many professing believers questioning their faith right now. There are a lot of people right now who are reaching for the door. They're about to exit. They're about to walk out and say, yeah, I'm not buying it. This is not doing it for me anymore. I quit. I'm leaving the faith. That troubles me. And yet I can understand why if they had been taught with poor materials, 
maybe they just weren't getting something that was grounding them to the firm foundation. And I, I want to be honest, but I want to be just as compassionate as I can be. If there's anybody, if you're reaching for that door, I want to let you know, oh man, God loves you so much. He really does. And I love you so much that I want you to know the truth. There's another good question from one of our wanderers when he said, why would we hide the truth from somebody when the truth is what they need the most? We're not doing them any favors by withholding the truth from them. So I tell the truth because I want you to have what I have and what I'm looking forward to in the future. And that is a faith that can't be lost because we're so connected to the real firm foundation that he'll never let us go. Some of the songs that we were listening to and Callie and I were singing along with prior to this message talked about that. A faith that can be lost. I want you to hear me clearly about this because this is, I want to be crystal clear. Faith that can be lost is attached to something other than the firm foundation. That means that if somebody thinks that they had a faith and they lost it or they walked away from it, I would be bold enough to say, you weren't connected to the real Jesus Christ. Because when we're connected to him, he grips us in the grip of his grace. The question is, what is your faith attached to? That's a question worth asking. That's a good question to wonder about. And that's what Paul is helping us try to get back to, getting us right back to the roots of the gospel in 1 Corinthians. Here's what faith is not. It's important for us to know the counterfeits, things that faith is not, because these are some of those bad building materials. It's the straw or the sticks. Faith is not a force in itself. You have to have faith in something. You have to have an object for your faith. It's not a force like Star Wars. And unfortunately, faith has been taught in some spiritual um, backgrounds or some denominations. It's been taught such that people feel like, well, I have this force within me and all I have to do is just throw reason to the wind and listen to that inner voice. I'm here to tell you that's one of the most dangerous things we can do because our inner voice can be led by our old sinful nature. And at the core, we're rebellious toward God. That's what the Bible makes very clear. If you're listening to that inner voice and you think, well, I've got something that's just really core to my being. Is Jesus core to your being? Or are you listening to your inner voice, which is based on that sinful nature, which is rebellious toward God? So faith is not a force. And we dare not listen just to that inner voice if it's not the Holy Spirit at work being guided by God through his Holy Spirit as revealed through his word, which he's given to all of us today. Another thing that faith is not, it's not a way to control God. It's not a lasso. I've got some cousins that actually do some rodeo or did some rodeo stuff out in New Mexico. And they could get out there and they could get on that horse and they get their lasso out, you know. And they just, woo, and boy, they throw that lasso right around the cow there and then hop off the horse, tie that thing around the horn on the saddle, and off they'd run up there and tie that little cow up there and throw their hands up and say, eight seconds, I did it in eight seconds. Yeehaw. Don't you like my accent? I love my New Mexico cousins. Joy and I are probably going to get a chance to see some of those in Cali in August. Well, faith is not a way to control God. Faith is not something that if we just pray hard enough, we have enough faith and we grit our teeth that we can somehow convince God to do something he wasn't planning on doing in the first place. 
Doesn't work that way. Faith is not a formula. We can't put A and B and C together and come out with D. We can't have some sort of a ascending level of gnosis or knowledge that would allow us to ascend until finally we have this enlightenment. That's just a modern Gnosticism. That's exactly what Paul was speaking against in the Greek culture and in some of the philosophies that he was coming up against even way back in Corinth in first century AD. There's a lot of modern Gnosticism going on with people who think that if I know enough, if I can memorize enough scripture, if I can know enough of the secrets about the Bible, if I can find some of those inner workings and inner secrets and the code and cracked code, then suddenly I'll be super spiritual and I'll be on God's inner circle and I'll be right at his right hand man and I'll have so much of his power that I'll be able to do things that nobody else can do. Man, that's a twisting of scripture and it's wrong. <laughs> Don't get sucked into modern Gnosticism. Paul's been telling us, even in the last couple of weeks that we've looked at here in the first couple of chapters of 1 Corinthians, the mystery has been revealed to you. You know it. It's available to you. It's clear that mystery is Jesus Christ, and he is our firm foundation. So here's the definition of faith, and it's given for us in that book of Hebrews, which is a great augmentation of Corinthians. Confidence, this is what faith is. It is confidence in what we hope for. Now, this is where it gets really good, folks. So if you've gone away to get your cup of coffee, sit down and listen to this part because it's important. Confidence in what we hope for. Hope is something that we haven't yet seen to fruition. It hasn't come true yet, but we have a confidence in what we hope for. And like, let, let me use this illustration. I hope I'm going to get a raise someday. I've heard some things in discussions with my boss that makes me think that she just might give me a raise. And I think that it would be great if she could do that by the end of this year. That would be really wonderful. We'll look at the rest of that definition of faith, and then I'll start tying that into this illustration, and you'll see something that's just going to blow your mind. It's also the assurance, an assurance about what we do not yet see. It's confidence in what we hope for, and it's the assurance about what we do not yet see. Here's the thing though, I'm gonna make this so clear. I've heard sermons that have made this so complex that I thought, what are you talking about? And yet it's so clear, and I think you're gonna see it because of this illustration. It popped with me, it was just one of those thousand watt light bulb moments, and I'm waiting for that to go on, and it's probably gonna be so bright, I'll be able to see it coming right through my computer screen. This is where it gets good. You already know what moves somebody from hope to assurance. You already know it. You know what it is? It's that moment when your boss walks in and says, or, or Skypes in, or Zooms in, and says, you're going to get a raise. I told you a few months ago that I was hoping to pitch this to HR, and I did. And I made my case, and I said that you've been adding to your job description, and your responsibilities have increased, and you've been doing them so well, and you're a real asset to this organization. And I pitched it to HR. They went into their committee and looked at the whole budget for the whole department and they came back to me and they've approved it. And starting next month, you're gonna get a 15% raise. Isn't that great? Now, when your boss tells you that, you don't go home to your roommate or your family or your spouse, you don't go home and say, man, I sure hope I'm gonna get a raise. Why would you do that? You've just been told by somebody with the authority to make it happen. They've promised you a raise it's going to happen. So now you've moved from hope to assurance. Your hope became faith. 
because now you know it's going to happen. You've got the assurance that something that even though it hasn't quite happened yet, the promise is real. And why do you trust it? Because there was somebody in authority that gave you that promise. You see where this is going? Hope becomes faith when the authority has spoken. That's why we can trust. When we look at what God did through Jesus Christ in his gospel, Jesus' sinless life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, all those things that are the foundational truths of the gospel that Paul never wavered from and which he continues to defend if he was the author of Hebrews. As we see in Hebrews, that's the crux of the matter. That's the firm foundation is on Jesus Christ himself and that whole gospel message. That's how we know that the authority has spoken. I'm confident that God is, he exists, and that he will do what he promised to do. Now, based on those bad materials, based on some bad teachings that some people may have bought into, you need to know some things here. This next statement is important. It's a big caution. You need to pay attention to it because it's important. Are you with me? Everybody say, I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay, thank you. We Christians do not believe that God exists because of our faith. Hmm. I'm going to let that sink in because I've heard a lot of people use their verbiage to make it sound like, oh, yes, well, I have a faith. I have a spiritual faith. But what is your faith in? And are you making that faith to become something? Have you invented this because of your faith? No. We Christians don't believe that God exists because of our faith. We don't believe that God keeps his promises because of our faith. We believe that God exists because of evidence. We believe that God keeps his promises because of the evidence. That's how Paul approached that. Some of the other, well, all the other apostles were chronological in working through what they saw in their life with Jesus leading up to the cross. Those terrifying and awful moments after Jesus was nailed to the cross. And then the big discovery, huge discovery after Jesus rose again. They saw that chronologically, but Paul was on the other side of that, so he's approaching it logically, which is sometimes how you see a slight different perspective in the way Paul approaches and presents the gospel. But he's seeing it logically, and he says, well, of course there's evidence. There's all this evidence. That's what builds our faith. We're not making this up. We're not trying to invent something to say, yes, well, look, I've got this great faith, and so I've invented God in my mind. No, absolutely not. We believe that God exists because of the evidence that he exists. And we believe that he keeps his promises because there is abundant evidence. I'm going to recommend another book to you. I recommended one at Easter. It was called The Case for Christ. And then this one's called The Case for Faith, also by Lee Strobel. Great book. Let me close with a true story about a friend of mine that I asked for prayer for two weeks ago during our Wednesday night Zoom prayer meeting. He really had been through a lot. I mean, this guy, good night. Joy and I met him 40 years ago. He went to the same college we did. When he was in college, he was in a rollover car accident and his girlfriend was killed. Another time, he experienced another huge trauma and then his wife left him as an adult and he experienced divorce. 
he kept clinging to the foundation and he kept trying to build with good materials, recognizing that some of the things that were bad materials were getting burnt up and tried by trials of fire. But the things that kept shining through, the things that were lasting were those things that were of the spirit because those are the things that last. And God's spirit has continued to build himself into Don's life until he got a diagnosis just a couple of months ago and the doctor said, Don, I got some bad news and I'm just gonna shoot it to you straight. He said, you got an aneurysm right in the center of your brain, right between the two hemispheres and it's a bad one. And he said, there are only about three physicians that I know of in the country who would even attempt this kind of surgery. And I'm one of those three. He said, but I'm also gonna tell you that I'm a Christian. And I believe that the great physician can do things. I'm just the agent. Kind of like what Paul was saying, I'm just a seed planter, Apollos is just a waterer, but God gets all the glory. This is that physician. He's saying this to Don. He says, I'm just an agent of God who is the great physician, and I'll do the very best I can with the skills that God has given me and which I've tried to hone all for God's glory, and I'm going to go in there, and I'm going to try to fix this thing. He said, but you should know this is a tough one. So, Don did a lot of praying about it. He did some talking about it. He got back into God's word again. He kept blogging about it. He's really a deep thinker. He had a lot of thoughts that he was wondering about, just like some of you wondered about this past week. And then the day before that surgery, he said, well, I'm wondering a couple of things, including when I wake up next after they put me to sleep, am I going to be on the earth or in heaven? And he said, because I'm attached to that firm foundation, because I know the answer to that, I'm okay with either option. This is a win-win for me. He said, so that gave me a piece to be able to go into the surgery. Was I nervous? Of course I was nervous. Sure. But I had such a great piece about this thing. And then my doctor, the Christian, walks in and he says, Don, you should know something. I was really troubled about this surgery, more so than I have been about a lot of them. It was trouble, troubling me enough that I lost some sleep over it a couple of nights ago, but it drove me to my knees and I've been praying about it. And after praying about it, I just have such a strong sense of peace about this. He said, God has this. To Don, I'm going to do the very best I can, but you and I both know that the ultimate is up to God. The outcome is up to him. I'm going to do my best but I'm praying for you, and I know that you've been praying for me, so let's do this. So Don goes in for surgery. Joy and I went into that dark zone where we're wondering, okay, I don't know if there's anybody even in the hospital who could let anybody else know by posting on his Facebook page. So if we don't hear from him for a long time, does that mean he didn't make it? He's in heaven? Or does it just mean that nobody's taken over his Facebook page? So we didn't know if we would hear from him or not. And then I get this wonderful post that shows up. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And Don says, I'm happy. I woke up. I'm alive. And I'm still on the earth. And I will still be happy. And I will still proclaim God's goodness. I'm 60 now. If he, if he allows me 10 more years, as some people say that I'm allotted on this earth, according to scripture. If I'm alive for 10 more years, I'm going to use all the time I can to point people to the God who keeps his promises. He says, if he allows me 40 more years and I live to be 100, I'm going to use every breath I've got to point people to this God because he's a good God. 
and he keeps his promises. Now, Don's not saying that God kept his promise because he answered the prayer the way Don prayed. Don would have been even just as happy, probably more so, if he had awakened in heaven, because then he would have been where he was made to be for eternity, and he was okay with that too. He's saying that God kept his most important promise because, and he says, with all my deep thinking, with all my wondering, all that prayer, my mind kept coming back to this. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak. But he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. That's a testimony from a guy who's alive today and didn't know if he would be just a few days ago. God is real. He is. And he's for you. And we don't just make that up through some sort of blind faith. It's because of the evidence. We can trust him. Man, if you're reaching for the door and if you're trying to bail, attach yourself to the firm foundation. Get yourselves around the kind of teaching that's built with brick and with gold and silver and precious jewels, all those things that will keep you focused and attached to Jesus. Those things will last. Those are the things that are led by the Spirit. Don't let go. Cling to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, my heart just aches for those who have big questions and those questions haven't been answered to their satisfaction yet. And I want so desperately for them to be able to trust you fully. I pray that if there's somebody with their hand on the door, they'll remove their hand from that door and they'll grab a hold of their Bible and they'll cling to Jesus Christ and they'll anchor themselves to the firm foundation who is Jesus Christ and that they'll surround themselves with teachers who are pouring into their lives through spirit-led instruction, those things that will keep them attached, fixed to Jesus. Because we know that that kind of firm faith, which is based on evidence, will never let us go. Nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. And I pray if there's somebody who's experiencing that nudge in their spirit right now, that you'll just grab a hold of their heart and that they will know without a doubt that you are, that you are for them, that you forgive sin and that you'll keep them, that you who began that good work, the author and finisher of their faith will finish that work because you're faithful that way. And I pray these things in Jesus, powerful, authoritative name, knowing that he's fulfilled all the promises so he's the authority we can trust to move us from hope to faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.